Today's episode of The Mismatch on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and Los Angeles. And they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to hospitals and clinics, fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can keep your local restaurants alive. Please go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate. We're trying to raise $250,000, so if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. Now, time for the mismatch. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Controversy, Kevin O'Blizzarian, Kevin Verno! How's going it going? <laughs> All right. We've got a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, two amazing episodes of The Last Dance have been on since we last spoke. We do have some NBA news to get to, but I do want to start by telling you last week I mentioned that many years ago I had Bill Russell on my local show and I had asked him a series of questions about, you know, kind of personal questions. And one of them was I wanted to find out about what he liked entertainment wise. And I asked him what his favorite movie was, and the answer shocked me. I went and I found the archive of this. It was actually <laughs> 2009. So this is 11 <sighs> years ago. 11 years ago. Um, and I'm so glad to know that Bill Russell still, you know, he's still doing well. You can still see him out and around at NBA still games. A, was this a cassette tape? Did you have to? It was make a actually. Digital? It was actually a CD. Wow. Um, so <laughs> what we did eight, eight was track. <laughs> yeah, well, we archived everything as MP3 files. I mean, I have boxes and boxes of shows, interviews, etc that we did over the years because I always wanted to keep all of my archives. And so I went back through and my producer John Roser had labeled them all alphabetically, unbelievably. <laughs> After, you know what I mean? Like, so going back through it was very, very easy. I just had to look for his name. And so I was able to find it. And it was funny to listen back to. Um, the reason he was on, there was a book that had come out called Red and Me. And it was Bill Russell's book about him and Red Auerbach. And it was called Red and Me, My Coach, My Lifelong Friend. And I would encourage anybody, if you're a basketball fan, to read that book. It is, it's a short read and it is tremendous. Absolutely tremendous about two of the giants, uh, for sure, in NBA history. But then at the very end of the interview, I asked him a series of personal questions, and I asked him what his favorite movie was, and that's when I got the response that surprised me. Okay. All right, what's your favorite movie? 
probably one of the Star Trek movies. Star Trek? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Trekkie. <laughs> what? Yeah. Bill Russell is a Trekkie? Oh, yeah. Now, this is something I did not expect. All right. <laughs> now, hey, wow. there, there it is. There is the proof that he told me that he was a Trekkie. Now, uh, I cut it off, but I kept on listening to it to find out his other, you know, favorite things. And when I asked him about music, his answer was a Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash song, Sunday Morning Coming Down. He loved that song. And then he mentioned another song and he said, and you probably don't know the guy. His name's Grady Tate. And the name of the song is Windmills of My Mind or The Windmills of Your Mind. That was the name of it. And so I wrote down some of the other things that he had mentioned as his favorite things. Um, he also mentioned, I asked him about his favorite athlete, and he said when he was in high school, he met George Mikan, who was one of the wow. great NBA players ever. And he said, and he was the nicest man I had met outside of my family. And you think about this, you know, Kev, and the history of the NBA and how much sometimes those interactions can make a huge difference. And here it is, Bill Russell explaining, you know, there's going to be a kid one day that says, I just saw the other night, right, where you saw uh, Clay Thompson was talking about being in the locker room, meeting Michael Jordan when he was a kid. You know, obviously his father played in the NBA. But you have these moments, but that's been going on for that long to where Bill Russell was saying when he was in high school, he got a chance to meet George Mikan, and he was so nice to him. He was the nicest man he had met outside of his family. And so, like, look, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about being nice to people because you never know. But if there's ever a great story about that, there it is with Bill Russell saying he ran into the best player in the NBA when he was a kid. Imagine that. It's, it's all generational, right? I right? mean, you, you have to do as much as you can in your time on this earth. and try to pass on the good lessons that you've learned from Bill Russell. He did, He's done that throughout his life, like George Mikan put, made a positive impact on him and the players Russell impacted have done that with the rest of the world. And, you know, that's what really made watching the last dance so impactful, right? With Michael Jordan really taking Kobe under his wing and obviously knowing now Kobe was just starting to do, begin to do the same with a lot of young players in today's league. Yep. Before we get into all of our thoughts from the last dance, I do want to cover a couple of things today. Um, this is unsurprising that uh, ownership support is growing for the idea that next season, and we still don't know how or when you'd be able to finish this season if you are for the NBA, but that it would delay the start until December. Um, and the big thing about this is what I think you and I have both wondered aloud is, yes, this is happening because of the coronavirus pandemic, but are we going to find that a December start is actually better for the NBA anyway, for interest and for everything else, um, and that it just carries on later into the summer rather than starting when college football and the NFL are going, when college basketball starts up too, you kind of have a lot more months as, you know, the, the, of the sporting calendar virtually to yourself. Certainly, 
on a nightly basis outside of regular season baseball. And so I think the wonder, it's no surprise that you would start the season a little bit later, but could that be something that sticks? Is it not just going to be because of the coronavirus pandemic, but rather the future of the sport is a calendar that starts in December? Uh, you and I have hit this a couple times, and I feel exactly the same now as I did then in that there is risk if the NBA were to do this. But ultimately, I think the upside is there for greater numbers and viewership from the youth. I think some of the concerns about people being on vacation during the playoffs is a bit overblown, though I would be curious for, uh, to see the NBA's numbers in terms of demographics and how how that could affect viewership in those months. I just think straight up, man, fact is, is there's nothing to watch that like primetime television in July and August and September and until the NFL starts in September. So if the NBA can fill that void, especially in August, the upside there is pretty significant long-term for the NBA. And to, to me, this was something that they should pursue before coronavirus became what it is today. Uh, and considering the circumstances of what's happening now, it makes even more sense because next season it's possible people won't be able to be in the crowd at arenas until March or April, if that. And so the later you start, the greater the chances that you're actually going to be able to have fans in arenas again. So there's short-term incentive for the league this coming season, but there's also long-term upside as well. We know that the Board of Governors voted on Friday that they would postpone two different events that would have taken place in May, the draft lottery and the combine. Um, they haven't voted on the draft, but everybody knows that's going to move too, especially if you've already moved these things. And so how do you think that plays out? And especially as somebody that puts together a draft guide, I mean – how difficult? I mean, how, I mean, what what the uh, hell are we doing here? It's so hard, right? Like, there's in terms of the evaluation of, but you're you're kind of going off of the tapes. I know we just kind of went through this with the NFL draft, but we got to remember the you know the Senior Bowl took place and the and the, and the Combine for that matter took place. You know, yes, there were guys without their pro days and their individual pro days, but there was a lot of the prep that had already taken place for. The NFL, that is not so with the NBA. And so it's very hard to figure out. That's one of the ones that's very difficult to figure out how that could even happen. The, again, it's similar to the schedule. The, the longer you wait, the greater the chance is that you're going to be able to get a player in the gym for a workout in some social distance you know, situation where there's limited people inside. You wouldn't have a traditional pro day where you have GMs and, ex and executives and scouts from all over the country in that one gym for a workout of multiple players. So it won't happen like that. But the fact is, is that the Combine and the draft lottery are pushed to an indefinite date. And as I've reported before, the draft will be pushed. It's just a matter of to when. It would be a shocker, a, a major shock, if the draft date was kept at June 25th, which it currently still is, but the league would wait until next month to make that change, even if games are canceled, which is a possibility. Okay, how about this, Kev? Yeah, but, but, but even, even if games are canceled, the draft is going to get pushed at least a week or two or three. Is there any chance that there is a draft 
without the season being no, completed. No, you know what I'm saying? None. Are we are we sitting no. there wait? We have to wait for the season to end. No. Yes. So theoretically, we're talking September, October before yes, an NBA exactly. draft takes place. And, and, and like it wouldn't be that case if draft night was just about the draft. It's not. Draft night is one of the biggest trade nights of the NBA calendar. Right. It, 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 right. And you don't know. You don't know what draft decisions you would make until you're allowed to trade. You don't know what draft decisions you would make until you know what the salary cap's going to look like. You don't know what the salary cap's going to look like until games are played, until the season's over, until you have an idea of what revenue could look like next season. It, there's just so many variables in the air, in the air that are holding up the draft. And ultimately, it's just not going to happen until after we know if games are going to be played or not. And to your point, Chris, initially... The fact is, is next season could start in December, but maybe not. It might not start until January. That's a possibility too. Yeah, who knows? Right? With a I number, mean, of, it's possible. Like I mean, it might look, be late January. And the other thing that's crazy is these kids stop playing basketball in March, right? If we if we just extrapolate it out, and we say okay, they will end up finishing a season some way somehow, but it might not end until the beginning of September. Therefore, maybe you get a three or four weeks until you have the draft. I mean, it could be late September, early October. I mean, you're for talking a, for a draft. You yeah. Mean, right? And yeah. And okay. you're talking about five months from now, Kevin. And they haven't played basketball since March. You know what I mean? Well, like, that's a long time sure. for a bunch of draft picks. It's different if you've got a gig and you're in the NBA. But now all of a sudden you are attempting to impress, you know, prospective GMs. And the timing of it all and the shape that you are in is just, there's just no way. And and on the other hand, it could be to the advantage of some kids, right? Like we talked about Giannis Antetokounmpo. I posted that poster where he grew like five inches in between the <laughs> draft and when the season started. And so who knows? It's probably not great for guys that are already a little bit older, you know, because now all of a sudden you could be 22 by draft day or something like that. But more, most importantly, it's just the basketball, not playing in a basketball game since, you know, typically these kids, they're playing through, in many cases, March and April. Then they get drafted, and then they're in summer league by July after a short amount of time off. And they're working out through the draft, which is really at the end of June. And then they go into summer league. And then they have a little time off before training camp starts. I mean, they've never had, I mean, none of these guys have had what could be a six to eight month break from playing competitive basketball. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, you need to adapt. Like, it's it, the situation is what it is. And so yep. for, for players, whether you have a, a, a gym nearby that you're able to go to or not to work in your game, uh, we we're all we all have to adapt, and for players, I, I think the greatest challenge might be, you know, from the, when the college season ends to when you actually sign your contract and you're getting paid. There's a there's going to be an even longer window than usual for a lot of guys that come from backgrounds where their families don't make a lot of money, and that's even more challenging right now, where that that's that first big paycheck that's saving you and saving your family and giving them comfort and a a cushion to fall on is going to have to wait even longer. And, and there's still no guarantee that it'll come because some of these guys who are entering the draft, they're gambling here. 
And there's no guarantee that they get picked for these late second round picks or guys that have hopes of being a first round pick, but then end up going undrafted. And then you're looking at the overseas market. There's a lot of uncertainty for these guys for even a longer duration of time now. And the fact is, is for the NBA, there's there's there is a deadline. It's not set, but I remember it was reported before about how, you know, Labor Day was a big day, you know, for the NBA to crown a champion. I'm not I'm not so sure that's true anymore. For the NBA, I I it's really about at this point for next season getting fans into arenas and the longer you wait, the greater the chance that can actually happen. But also for this current season, it's also possible the longer you wait, the better the timing it is to actually complete the season. And maybe that happens in mid-August. Maybe that happens in late August. But maybe it also doesn't happen until mid to late September. And that affects everybody. It affects draft prospects. It affects the current guys. Um, and it's going to have a ripple effect moving forward with with next season. And for the NBA, if games do return, and they're going to sure, they're sure as hell going to try everything they can to get games back. I I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear anything of substance. I mean, we're hearing you know rumors and you know ideas of how things might work itself out, but right now nobody knows anything, and that's part of the frustration for all of us in all of our lives. But for the NBA in particular, nobody knows right now and from what i've been told is is it could be whenever an announcement is made which we don't know when it will be made but when it's made it's probably going to only be like 10 to 14 days in advance of when players are told like you're going to disney world you're going to vegas and this is how it's going to work it's going to be a short turnaround uh because week to week month to month it's hard to plan ahead so i wouldn't be shocked if we don't hear anything for quite some time about when games will return, how it will return, and then after that, how it affects the salary cap, how it affects the draft, um, and everything else. Like, I mean, really, how crazy is it, though, Chris? Like, it's May 5th right now. It was almost two months ago that this, the NBA suspended games. We really don't know that much more in two months than we did to at that time in March. Do, do we? I mean, like, do we know much more? I mean... Look, here's what we know. We know that America is starting to reopen in different places, and some people have confidence that it's going to be okay and it's worth the it's worth the risk as long as everybody maintains safety. Other people have, you know, predicted doom and gloom for the reopening of America. So I think we're still all kind of you know, how can you know? I mean, come on, these predictions from the very beginning, you know, have been it. it how, how can you predict something that is, you know, pretty unpredictable? Um, you know, I saw that guy from Florida defending himself where, you know, there was those articles saying there was going to be, what was it, 464,000 people infected uh, or something like that. And he said it's been two thousand, so they were only like four hundred sixty thousand off or something. <laughs> I mean, and and I know that that's just that's just one state, but I mean that it just speaks to, you know, dependent upon what kind of models. And obviously, we all did the shelter and home thing, and people have been quarantined. But 
you know, I, I look at what these scientists show and I look at these models and it doesn't exactly look like the the curve has been flattened. It hasn't. <laughs> you know, so people have just kind of uh, said to hell with it is more. Uh, it, you know what I mean? I, 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 mean, I, I mean, I mean, the curve, the curve in some ways has been flattened because the point of social distancing and staying at home was to make sure hospitals don't get overcrowded. And so in that sense, it has been effective however i mean like the fact there's still two thousand people a day dying from COVID-19 i mean in some ways it's been flattened in other ways no not at all well and there's and it could only and it only could continue to rise too if you reopen too soon Uh, again like like every country has done it differently i mean sweden has done sort of that hybrid plan where they have you know mostly everything's open including bars and restaurants Um, i'm not sure the united states will or should go that far but to the point you know they are you know still practicing social distancing in public they still are you know saying people who are have compromised immune systems or who are older should stay home and should you know people should stay away from them everybody should wear masks like they are taking a hybrid approach and their numbers aren't too different than surrounding countries in europe that have full on lockdowns. And so well, like, no, again, it, it's no, it's, it's, it's like a bigger, it's a bigger issue, but like in some ways with coronavirus, we, we don't know what the best solutions are. No, it's like with the, I mean, just like with the NBA, we don't know what's best. Like we, nobody knows anything. No, you got it. Look, look, we're, we're, we're no experts, but I'll tell you this. I am. No, in the middle, I, am nobody, in the, I don't know. I don't think anybody's an expert right now. I'm in the middle of America and I know two people. I know two personally, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Oh, who, and I who have, have it. Yeah, and I have others I see, yeah. that that have family members that have passed away. Yeah, yeah recently my, um, from coronavirus. My, mom, my mom's so, aunt, my mom's aunt passed away from COVID nineteen last week, and uh, you know, like that was my grandpa's last surviving sibling. And the, I mean, it's like the, one of the saddest things is it is sad. No, no, nobody was able to see her at all. And you know, that's that's one of the most heartbreaking things in all this. Really, well, and one of the things that you know y- you think about is. What are these numbers if we if we haven't all been at home? I know, I know, and that's what uh, the whole reopening and you just it's I mean who knows tense well, times to say the least, right? Like I mean, it's, you know, it, there's no great answers for this stuff, and that's that's the great challenge here. I mean, for all of us, and you know, for just to tie this to the NBA, it's it's the type of thing where to make this work, they need to have a heck of a lot of testing. And right now it's, it's may and we as American citizens are still not able to easily get tested. And it's very, very rare across the country. I know Los Angeles has it, or even if you're asymptomatic, you are able to get a test, which is a necessary part of curtailing this and knowing who has already had it. Uh, knowing who still hasn't had it and therefore could be somebody who gets it. And ultimately, until there's widespread testing, it's it's hard to imagine that the NBA buying out like tens of thousands of tests would be something that people would approve of. And it's what's necessary, though, for any private business to get back is to have testing happen. And until the United States government really steps up here for us as people it's hard to imagine that like our the big corporations like the nba are going to actually be able to play games and for the nba i think that's another reason why 
the longer you wait, the greater the chance is that that widespread testing will be available as it should be, as it was within weeks after South Korea had their first, you know, confirmed case of coronavirus. Granted, that's a far different country, a far smaller country. But the fact is, is I, I, it's unfortunate that it's May 5th right now. We don't have widespread testing uh, in the United States. That is for certain. One of the things, if we're just talking basketball-wise, that is of interest is in the case that they did return. And we talked about the extreme layoff that it has been and the amount of time that guys have had off. The former league MVP, Kevin Durant, might be able to play if they came back. Sean Marks uh, said that Durant returning this season is possible. According to a story posted by New Zealand's News Hub this past weekend, that's a hundred million News Hub. Wow. How about that? That's the $110 million question, Marks told the website. In all seriousness, we've tried not to talk about his timeline a lot. He knows his body better than anybody. Our performance team and training staff have done a tremendous job at getting him to this point, but I just don't know how coming out of the pandemic will affect anybody, let alone Kevin. When you've got enough invested in a player like Kevin, we're not going to push him to come back. When the timing's right, he'll be 100% when he gets back on the court. I can tell you this, though. Before the pandemic, he looked like Kevin Durant, and that's a good thing. Oh boy, boy! Would that I mean, add something to the mix, huh? I mean, we we again, like time has passed. We speculated about this back in March, and it's like, eh, you know, Rich Kleiman, his agent, came out and said it's not realistic for Katie Katie to come back around that time. But uh, if if games aren't being played again until you know late July, early August. I mean, that's getting pretty close to <laughs> September right? training camp before this all started, right? And it wouldn't shock me one bit if Katie was back out there and playing games if if things do get pushed that far, which is a strong possibility. Like I just said, Labor Day weekend is not a deadline for crowning a champion anymore. It could end up happening later than that. Um, and if that ends up being the case, I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll see the Brooklyn Nets in the NBA Finals. You never know. <laughs> hey, look, and I, I tell you this, uh, Portland should have Zach Collins and Yusef Nurkic back. And, you know, the team I'm around all the time, Justice Winslow had been out, as had Jaron Jackson, as had Brandon Clark. All those guys are, like, totally healthy now. Yeah. Like, everybody yeah. should have a pretty close to totally healthy roster, even if you had some – like, is John Wall coming back? Like, who knows? Like, even guys that had, like, these long-standing injuries, they, there's been so much time off now. Who the hell knows? By the time they're playing basketball again, everybody could have a full, healthy roster. No doubt. I mean, like, we we could see we could see Darius Garland, Tristan Thompson, Kevin Porter back for Cleveland. Oh, God. They, they, they had some nagging injuries. I believe <laughs> Kevin Porter had a concussion. <laughs> you, you're still on your calf stuff, huh? Yeah. I mean, Dylan Windler's been out for quite a while. I know he has. With, with that leg injury. So you, you got to get Dylan Windler back to the Cleveland Cavaliers. What, a, what an impressive uh, rookie player coming in from Belmont. I don't know, man. You never, you, you never know the way this I, I, stuff. I, I look forward to Dylan Windler's debut, Chris. You never know the way that stuff's going to play out because that was, right, they blew out the coach that wanted him. And so, mm -hmm. you know, uh, John Beeline thought, you know, I remember listening to him say this, that he had, you know, they had, um, with the with what they had, they wanted to try to find 
it would actually made sense the way to build. Like, here's how we're going to create some space. And here's a guy that can slash to the basket in Porter. Here's a guy you can kick out to in Dylan Windler. So, I mean, there was a there was a method to their madness and the type of guys that they drafted. But plans change when you suck and you fire a coach, right? So there's a lot to like. There's oh yeah, he can shoot the <laughs> he can so, shoot so the hell out of like, the ball. Yeah. He can shoot oh, it. Yeah. He can shoot the ball. Hey Chris, wait one second before we move on. We have to hear from today's sponsors. During this time of change, we want you to know that ZipRecruiter's focus hasn't changed. They're still doing what they've always done, helping people find work and helping businesses find the right people for their open roles. If you're looking for a job, ZipRecruiter is working with you to find the right job faster. They're dedicated to helping you get hired, from caretaking to delivering food and goods to building medical facilities, supplying protective equipment, and so much more. In fact, ZipRecruiter's app will send you up-to-date job openings so you can be one of the first to apply. And if you're actively hiring, ZipRecruiter will invite candidates to apply to your most urgent roles, making it faster and easier to reach the people you need. By connecting people who need jobs and companies that need people, ZipRecruiter is working with all of us so we can keep moving forward. Let's work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. Today's mismatch is also brought to you by Scott's miracle Grow. Do you know what's more attainable than your favorite team landing a top free agent this summer? A healthy, thick, green lawn. Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action kills weeds, prevents crabgrass, and feeds to build thick green lawns. It's three benefits in one bag. With Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action, you can finally get the lawn you've always dreamt of. And with Scott's No Quibble Money Back Guarantee, if you're not satisfied, you get your money back. Grab a bag today and make your yard a Scott's yard. And now, back to the mismatch. All right, uh, let's get into the last dance. We saw the episodes, uh, I guess these were five and six that took place this past weekend. Um, First week, we were all so excited to watch it. It lived up to every expectation. We both loved it. Um, The second week was obviously not as entertaining, um, but still, look, we're starving for things to watch, and it was still extremely good. I thought Sunday night was the best night. What would you think? It was fantastic. I Uh, liked it the the, most of the three weeks. The Jordan-Kobe stuff was, I mean, emotional. All of it. It was outstanding. Well, and I've talked, we've talked a lot about how you want to know how real this thing's going to get. And I thought it got very real. Um, Yeah. Especially with these clips of Jordan and coping with fame and coping with the you know, the, the 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 bad stories that were coming out about him that, you know, this idea that he's raised up on this very high pedestal only for people to try to find what's wrong with the guy um, and that it bothered him a great deal to the point where his father even defended him. But I, there's that image of him sitting inside that, he, he's sitting inside that hotel room, you know, and then he leaves and he's, mobbed again everywhere he goes he just can't go anywhere and so he is just sitting inside a hotel room and outside of a casino or a golf course that's pretty well the only places he has to go because he is the most famous maybe person in the world um 
there is a little, and I know that it's sad to watch it, and and you do get the realness of what it was like to be him, even when he's in the back with his own security. Which, by the way, that guy stole the show. Oh my! The goodness. security guard absolutely, positively stole the show um, in that episode. Just the throwing of the dimes next to the <laughs> who can get the dime closest to the wall john then, michael wozniak was his name yeah and yesterday there was an article that came out and i retweeted it so uh you can go find it and i don't want to get any of the details wrong but uh mike for uh, matt fortuna from the athletic he tracked down john wozniak's story who had passed away in january but uh matt uh, tracked down his son who actually lives in Nashville, Tennessee. And he told the story and this guy was a former narcotics officer and he was in uh, Jordan's security detail all the way to the end. And, you know, in that moment, he's just a guy with crazy hair that's mocking MJ as he beats him <laughs> in this, uh, in this gambling thing. But it was, it was great to watch that. And then I loved that somebody thought to, Hey, wonder what this guy's story is because clearly America fell in love in one second with this guy um, who is, you, you, there's not a lot of people. He might be the only guy that we have seen in six episodes goof on Michael Jordan. Is that fair? Has anybody? <laughs> I mean, he did, I mean, he it, did the Jordan shrug. <laughs> has any, but he, is, he does all the goofing, right? There is no, I, I can't think of anybody else that's goofed on Jordan. the entire. I've seen people get mad at him. Yeah. I've seen other people get goofed on, but I don't. I think he's the only one that is goofed. I guess if you want to say Charles Barkley with the like Chuck, if I could be like Chuck, but that's pretty tame, right? <laughs> um, so this guy, uh, the security guard thing was great. But anyways, back to the whole fame thing. There is part of me that says, okay, there is a limit to how bad and how much empathy I am going to have because Jordan's is a little bit different than other people in the sense that, yes, uh, people always try to tear you down and they try to find out, you know, do you curse out to teammates? Do you punch teammates? Do you gamble? Do you do this? Do you that? Are you not perfect, right? Are you not this perfect guy that it, it's presented to us all the time that this is this perfect guy. And, you know, it sucks because obviously what you find out with everybody is nobody is perfect. And if you dig into anybody, you're probably going to find something you don't like. And so we do this as a culture where we love you and then we try to poke holes and find out what's wrong with you. On the other hand, not everybody has a frigging commercial that says, Sometimes I dream that he is me, <laughs> you know, like Mike, if I could be like Mike, you know, like, so you are in some ways complicit to this, hey, be like me. And when like you is, you know, cursing out a teammate, punching a teammate, gambling or whatever, right? Like that ain't the thing. Like the commercial is you and the little kids running around and you are presented as someone we should all want to be like and so inevitably you become a target when you're presented as someone that we should all want to be like people are going to try to tear that down and 
he is a little complicit in the sense that he was. I mean, I saw that commercial back and I got very nostalgic. I had my mother drive me around town to convenience stores until we found that type of drink. Because the one he's drinking is um it was a new uh it was a new flavor called citrus cooler in that it, like that's what the brand, that's what the the flavor that Jordan was drinking. And I had my mom drive me around. Like, I, w- I did. I was that kid. I wanted to be like Mike. I mean, that is the kind of power that this guy had. As a little kid, I wanted those shoes, and I wanted to be like Mike. And so there's part of me that is like, hey, man, not everybody's running around saying be like me. You know? <laughs> and so... Um, be like Verno, you know. Yeah, be like Ver- hashtag like, be I, you like don't Verno. See, I don't, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't even tell my own kids to be like me. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't totally. I, I understand what you're saying, but I don't, I don't totally agree. I, I, I mean, Jordan may have been presented as a perfect idol for kids to aspire to be, but um, nobody's a perfect person. Jordan's not a perfect person. There's many things I'm sure he wished he didn't do. Um, but you can still idolize a person and still look at them as a role model and want to be like Mike or be like Verno or be like LeBron or, or be like Bill Simmons or be like whoever and still, you know, understand that they have faults as a person because they are human. People are different. For, now, for, Michael, jo- for Michael Jordan, you know, Jordan rules and all the stories that came out of the nineties, they did show a different side of him, but as Jordan himself said in the documentary, you know, that I'm not your person and it, you don't have to follow me. And it's the truth. If, if those things, those decisions, oh, that's a 50 something year old Jordan saying that Kevin, don't give me that. Don't give me that. He's not, uh, that's what he says now. If you don't yeah, want to, he I wasn't know, being know, real. I'm, all, all, I'm, all I'm saying is, is it's true. I mean, like if someone's faults, or reason for you not to idolize them or follow them, then then that's just what it is. But there's also still positive qualities in that person and the way they are as a person that can be adapted to your own life. But so what does everybody want to see? Well, my only point is I'm not. I don't think it's necessarily just because the marketing was saying be like Mike, just because he was somebody that was you know put on a pedestal as this like perfect player or person to aspire to be like. I don't think that's necessarily. Um, reason to feel otherwise about his perspective uh on some of the negative qualities in his life though all i'm saying is it when you are when everybody loves this documentary because what do they say they want to see the real jordan right as if what we were presented was not the real jordan and we found that out through the books we found that out through now these behind the scene tapes that the 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 guy that was presented to us all the time and that's what people wanted to tear down it wasn't as simple as just a regular old guy and people just went out there and wanted to tear it down it was here is every company in the country presenting us this person and that's not real and i am with you that you should be able to accept people for their faults. We love to tear people down. Like everybody teared down Tiger Woods and then everybody was crying when he won the Masters last year. <laughs> I get the way this works. You know what I'm saying? But on some level, if you've got a song saying, be like me, 
you know, the commercial is obviously not going to be <laughs> of you punching a guy, gambling, and you know, berating somebody in the back of a plane. I get it, right? Like we're not. Uh, that's not how you are going to be presented. But if you are doing the be like me, and everybody thinks you're. Michael Jordan, the happiest guy on earth and the nicest guy, and you're out in the playground playing with kids and all this kind of stuff, and and you're so cool, and like really, you're actually a much different person that is what than what is presented to the American public. Then of course there's going to be somebody out there that wants to tell everybody, like, yo, that is not that like you you can watch a Gatorade commercial all you want, that ain't the guy, and being like Mike ain't being like what you see in that commercial. And that's why Jordan himself did say in that documentary, quote, if I had a chance to do it all over again, I would never want to be considered a role model. It was like a game that was stacked against me and there was no chance that I could win, end quote. That's right. And that just about sums it up. You know, Jordan looks back at that and he, while he does say the part about that I mentioned about, you know, if I'm not the person you want to follow, then that's, I'm just not. But also he does feel in hindsight that maybe he wishes that he never did pursue some of those marketing opportunities to be like Mike because of the expectations that it I set do, for him as a person. You know, I haven't thought about this much, but you just you just made me think about something. I wonder if he is the first, certainly is the first biggest, where the mythology was not uh, protected. You know what I mean? That at least there at that portion in time, where he gets so fed up with it and people are on TV talking about it and whatever else that there was, you know, you go back to the beginning of, of sports writing and, you know, they'll tell the stories of, you know, writers being on a train where, you know, Babe Ruth's running away from a chick naked while she's, you know, wielding a knife at him. And so, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, there's like these, there's these old stories about, you know, uh, this guy is a, is, is a total dirt bag and, you know, my my parents grew up. Their hero was, you know, Mickey Mantle. And, you know, as the years well, went well, on. Well, let's go. Look, can we get back to that Babe Ruth knife story? What? <laughs> You've never what? heard that? You've never heard that before? No. <laughs> <laughs> what was that from? Hold on. Let me look it up because I don't want to get this wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, you've never heard about this before? Oh, no. Here's 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 a couple different things that have been uh, put out over uh, about Babe Ruth through history uh, that uh, New York City hookers oh. helped destroy his first marriage. He had that oh one. <laughs> he had um, he drowned the bases um, all night long, and uh, he brought a girl to the hotel room that he shared on the road with a teammate. The next morning, his roommate. How many times they'd actually gotten it on? He said, "Count the cigars." Oh my god. <laughs> So there were seven cigar butts that were out. Um, he was always talking about his uh, sexual prowess. Uh, let's. Oh, here we go. Uh, Ruth brushed death, uh, brushed with death a few times. A woman chased him through a crowded train, brandishing a knife because he had cheated on her. A man with a gun chased a naked Ruth out of a hotel in Detroit after Ruth slept with his wife. Jeez. And in 1925, he missed part of the season with the bellyache heard around the world which was almost certainly a combination of poor diet and a ton of syphilis. Wow. Oh my God. I mean, so look, wow. Bro, I, I had no look, idea. <laughs> you never, you had never heard about that story with the woman no, chasing no. him in a train. 
Yeah, no, that's right. I have not. Bo- Bobby, our producer, big baseball guy. Have you heard this story? Do you have any other Babe Ruth stories? Uh, no, I wasn't there, so I don't have any other Babe yeah. Ruth stories. That's great. <laughs> I'm going to trust Google on this one. I've heard stories similar to that. I haven't heard all of those stories, though, Verno. Yeah, man. I was just uh, like, I remember the old train thing from when I was a kid, right? I was a big baseball card. I just read every baseball book there was and. Somehow that didn't make it into my Mike Lupica novels. You didn't know the knife, no, the knife okay. wielding woman chasing him in the train. <laughs> yeah, man, it didn't quite make it into any of those chapters. <laughs> now imagine that. Imagine if that happened now. Well, I guess you first would be surprised somebody was riding the train, but then you would certainly be surprised if somebody was brandishing a knife at them as they were running through because he had cheated on her. How about him getting t- chased out of a Detroit hotel because he was with some dude's wife? Babe Ruth didn't play now. You better watch your, you better watch your ladies around the babe. I don't think that was in the John Goodman movie either. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need a real Babe Ruth biopic. Yeah. So anyways, but what I'm saying is, the point is, it's all these years later. If I said the name Babe Ruth to you, you would not think about his off-the-field exploits. And yet now, all these years later, they have chronicled, you didn't even know him, right? Same was true of Mickey Mantle and so many of the stories that came out after the fact um, about him. Uh, But my parents, you know, my father and my mother, growing up in, you know, West Tennessee, you know, they didn't know Mickey Mantle is a carouser and that he's, you know, drinking all the time and all this kind of stuff. People didn't know what was going on, right? And so, and, and and part of that is because the people that covered these athletes did protect the image and the mythology. And so if I round this back around, Sam Smith did not, you know, when the Jordan rules came out. And that kind of you know, let everybody see, hey, it's not all, you know, roses. And it, like, even now you look back and Jeff Perlman's written that book about the 86 Mets. He also wrote about the nineties Cowboys and like some of these stories. And those were, you're protected then. Um, the mythology was even protected, uh, then. And nowadays, geez, I mean, nothing, nothing is protected. Nothing, nothing. I mean, we know, we know so much more about these guys than ever before. But they can I also mean, connect mean, with you, us in an easier way sure. because I if mean, they want to get you, their message out, they can. Yeah, you, I mean, you got Draymond Green already spilling the beans on the team. Ethan Sherwood Strauss, you know, just published his book, The Victory Machine, about you know the unmaking of the Warriors dynasty. Uh, I mean, stuff comes out pretty quickly in today's day and age with more access and and for players, as you said, it's easier to connect easier to connect. I mean, I thought it was fascinating. And what I'm and saying the, is years it, ago, that stuff just wasn't printed. You yes. know what I mean? And, and now it comes out as it's happening. Well, yeah. I mean, well, and, and, and Sam Smith was vilified. You know, they didn't get really into that, but I mean, well, he, I guess he said he couldn't show up to games for a little while. Like, the obviously the book sold like hotcakes, but people didn't want to read that their hero is not the greatest guy. You know what I mean? It's not popular. To write that nowadays it's popular to shit on someone it's a shame but it is you get a lot of retweets by telling somebody that they suck would you wouldn't you have gotten a lot of uh you know reprints or you know quotable quotable you know stories that would have been published in other publications at that time though too i mean in that way i'm not sure it's that different in that in that regard chris i, I think 
I think today it's just you see it as it's happening. Um, I think it's hard that, to do the that, investigative stuff now. Yes, so. I agree with you there, but I still think like negative criticism still, you know, gets people talking uh, more than, you know, positive stories. It's just the truth. I mean, <laughs> it's, why, oh, it's, no. why, like, new, it's why news stations do all negative stories and why it's it's unusual for like John Krasinski, the actor to be doing, you know, good, good news day or whatever his show's but called. But you know, that's been different in sports. It has. We want these guys presented as, you know, typically the people that care the most and the people you are serving are people that are fans of those guys. Right. And so I guess you can say, oh, I would really respect, like, let's say, I don't know, like, let's say going back, like you're in, uh, you're, you and your father love the 08 Celtics, right? Like that's a team yep. that you guys love. And after the season, uh, I don't want to say Bob Ryan because Bob Ryan is such a respected, unbelievable. But just some guy in ball, Dan Shaughnessy, right? Okay, so a lot of people <laughs> hate Dan Shaughnessy comes out with an article, uh, you know, uh, a whole expose about how Kevin Garnett is is actually not somebody that you should be happy won a title. The guy is a dirtbag. People would. I, I guess there would be people out there that would say, oh, yeah, but I don't think it sells that much, honestly, Kevin, because people in Boston would be like, F this guy. People do say F this guy. You know what I mean? They love, uh, you know, their their players. Or if they if there was some kind of uh, thing about how, uh, you know, you shouldn't feel happy about the, the Red Sox titles because, you know, there was a bunch of guys that did steroids or something. People don't want to hear this shit. Like, you could say they do, but they it's different in sports. People like positive in sports. They do. More so about their teams. They like negative about everybody else. But about their teams, which is what who you're really gonna sell books to, you know, they don't want they they want they they they'd rather have the the good news, stuff that oh, reflects oh, sure. how they for felt sure about that team. team, you know? It's, like, it's just like for for years nobody wanted to hear even something about how, how like oh Russell Westbrook needs to start trying more in defense. Russell Westbrook yeah. needs to improve as an off ball player. Maybe you should take the ball out of Russell Westbrook's hand. Nobody wanted to hear that. You right. just want to hear the positive for sure. That's right. Um. Anyways, other things from the last dance. What else really stood out to you from these last couple episodes? I mean, what we touched on a little bit before, but the 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 Kobe. The Kobe uh, Jordan stuff from the All-Star game was just awesome to see the behind the scenes of the players talking about Kobe in the other locker room. Uh, the quote from Michael Jordan saying that little Laker boy is going to take everybody one on one. He don't <laughs> let the game come to him. He just goes out there and takes it. I don't know. I just I just love seeing that behind the scenes. Some of the great players in that. Eastern Conference locker room talking about the young guy Kobe Bryant uh, on the other side. That was um, it was just damn cool to see that. Couple of things basketball wise that stood out: a poor Charles Smith, what an unbelievable defensive possession. And I know I'm sorry, Knicks fans, for bringing this up. And obviously, Charles Smith's name is mud still to this day. But my God, Kevin, how many chances does he have right underneath the basket? <laughs> And it's just block after block after block. And you watch some of those. How intense was that Bulls-Knicks thing? Oh, my God. I mean, they are just at each other's throats in that deal. Um, Other basketball-wise, how awesome was Barkley? I think that was great. He's always awesome. But for people to get to see that, you know what I mean? 
and what he looked like and what kind of player he was and how fantastic he was and watching those old clips of the Suns thing. And it was also funny to watch. Um, you know, one of the things that always comes up with like the LeBron killer instinct stuff or anybody that we want to jump on is they'll say, uh, people will jump up and they'll say, oh, well, well, Jordan passed to John Paxson, Jordan passed to Steve Kerr. You know, he trusted his teammates, blah, blah, blah. And it just becomes something that people say. And I hope that everybody was watching the other night because, A, Horace Grant has the ball, and he doesn't want any part at going for what appears to be a totally open layup. He's the one that throws it out to John Paxson. I promise you, if Michael Jordan had that ball, John Paxson would not have touched that ball. And I also promise you that if John Paxson would have missed that shot, he would have gotten his ass beat. Those are the two things from watching that back. So enough already with the Jordan trusted his teammates. He didn't even touch the ball. Horace Grant had it, and then he threw it out to John Paxson. But it's always presented as, I promise, there's no way Michael Jordan doesn't take that shot. He was probably pissed. Uh, uh, thank God for John Paxson and the lives of everybody on that Bulls team that John Paxson made that shot. But you are fooling yourself if that joker wouldn't have taken that shot if he had the ball. He just didn't have it. <laughs> if there's anything you've learned from this, he was not going to let somebody else take, uh, decide his fate in that series. Um, Jordan did pass to Grant, though. Yeah. Right to get the that, ball though. back. Even John Paxson says that play wasn't for me. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm supposed to. <laughs> right? And they all just abandoned Horace Grant. Horace Grant should have. I mean, he could have gone and just taken the layup, right? For sure. Um, and I'm trying to think there was another basketball thing that I wanted to mention that we saw uh, within the context of this. Oh, the, the the Magic Johnson story where he says, I played cards with him the night before. And he was saying that, you know, uh, they've been building up the Jordan Drexler thing. And he's like, you know, I'm going to kill this dude tomorrow night. Yep. And, and of course, great. he went out and did it. The other thing is typically like with me, if grudges I held or like some kind of there's some kind of reason that I really want to beat somebody in something. It is personal with me. His is, is, is this even because it extends to beyond just one person. That's when, you know, it's like truly a, a madness um, as it were, because you hear like, just because Jerry Krause thinks Dan Marley is a good defender. Like, Dan Morley hadn't done anything to him. Or just because he likes Tony Kukoc, Jordan just decides, I'm going to kill this guy. Like, these people themselves are frankly innocent in terms of making Michael Jordan angry. But it's because somebody he doesn't like thinks something about this person that you get on the other end of his anger. And that is a tough, that's a tough deal, man. Because if he decides he wants to kick your ass, it certainly appears he's going to kick your ass. All right, the most important question I'm going to ask you on this show, Kevin. Game has, on the line, who would take the last shot? No. Has Me, this, that's a dumb question. When you, were doing, <laughs> when you were doing all your goofy LeBron stuff, and LeBron might be the GOAT, through six episodes, has your opinion been altered? Goofy LeBron stuff? No. Oh, you're going to act like you haven't done the whole no, LeBron's no, the GOAT well, thing? Yeah, no, but I mean, why goofy LeBron stuff? As if he's not the second or third greatest player of all time at worst and still not in the conversation. I'm going to say to you exactly what I said to Bill Simmons on his pod. The fact is, is 
Michael Jordan's story is written. It's over. The playing career is done. LeBron's isn't finished yet. So I can understand if you want to say MJ's the greatest player. I get it. Cool, man. Like, obviously, he's right there. But LeBron James still has years left, and we don't know where this is going to go. We don't know how long he'll play, if he'll win any more championships, if he'll win any more MVPs. There's a strong possibility that he does, considering the fact that he's on one of the best teams in basketball in the Los Angeles Lakers. There's a possibility that he wins one or more titles for the rest of his career, and he would have the longevity argument on his side. He could have the championship argument. He could have the fact that he's won in different eras. There could be a lot of arguments in favor of LeBron. Today, I think he's the most talented player I've ever seen in my life. Uh, But I also was only born in 1990 and didn't live through everything with Michael Jordan, which is why when it comes to the GOAT discussion, sometimes I think it's hard for someone my age or younger to really truly debate Jordan versus LeBron. That's just me being totally rational about this conversation. But I also think it's equally irrational for someone to say, oh, LeBron's not the greatest. There's no chance he'll be the greatest. Of course there's a chance because it's not over for him yet. It's still happening. Can we, can you and I at least agree that based upon what we spoke about today, that Babe Ruth is the greatest baseball player ever. <laughs> but we're, did I persuade you on that level? I mean, those are some pretty compelling stories. <laughs> he got chased with a knife by a woman. In a, by the way, there's no place to go in a train. You know what I mean? There's only like there's only so far you can run when you're on a train. It's kind of like on a plane. There's really you're going to run out of space. So I, I do need to, I do, I do need to know the end of the story. If somebody, you know, you know, you know what I can't stand. I yep. can't stand discussions when it's like, well, what would Babe Ruth do today in 2020? What would Michael Jordan do today in 2020? It's so hard to compare different eras oh. of why, of how guys would, 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 would perform. And obviously Michael Jordan would still be unbelievable today. But the fact is, is like I hate when it's used as a detriment for players today, oh, well. plugging them in the past. I mean, like you have Will. There's a quote from Wilt Chamberlain in the '90s saying, "I would score 60 or 70 points today in the '90s." Uh, like you have you have players today. People are saying, "Well, would LeBron James be worse with the physicality of of the game in the '90s?" It's like, well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it would knows. be different. But it's no, just they, it's it's listen, such a as, silly as we discussed last conversation. Week, anybody that's great within their era would have adapted to however it is exactly to be great in that era. But I'll tell you this: one thing we did, Babe Ruth would have had a totally full DM inbox on Instagram, Twitter, and every other platform. <laughs> That's what we know. He could have been more careful about his dalliances. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the true goat, <laughs> Babe Ruth. This is oh, the Babe NBA Ruth. podcast. Babe Ruth and Wilt Chamberlain, right? Bobby, I want you to do an entire Ringer MLB show about Babe Ruth stories. The oral history of the knife chase. Yes. The oral history. <laughs> Come on, Kev. <laughs> what, what, Come what did on. I say? What did I say? All right, we're out of here. This this show well, is what for... Come on, I I want the, I want the kids to be able to listen to this. <laughs> well, like Kev, I if say, I could I'm, be like Kev, what, you got a window inside the, the real demented mind. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's gonna do it for the show. Thanks to Bobby Wagner as always for producing. We will be back on Friday. Uh, if you want to send us some questions, 
via the mailbag. Give them the address, Kevo. NBA mailbag at gmail.com. And thank you, everybody, in advance for sending such awesome, awesome questions. NBA mailbag at gmail.com. We will talk to you on Friday.